Come on, church, would you do me a favor and welcome all of those who have joined us online this morning, Facebook Live, through our website, EuniceChurch.com. That's pretty easy. If you want to help people find out who we are or where we are, all you have to do is tell them EuniceChurch.com. They can type that in. It'll take them directly to us. Um, Barring our in-house pastor, Blaine Francois, wanting to use this intro next week, that will probably be the last time that Optimus Prime introduces our series for a little while. We wanted to show it one more time, but I want you to understand and I want you to remember the, the, the message behind this entire series is really just this one word, that God's people are called to be different, that we should look different, that our faith in the midst of trials, should be different. That our values in an unholy culture should be different. That our our calling in a dark world should be different. And today, I just want to wrap this series up and talk to you about the life that we live being different. We are called to live a different life in this world. Hey, please don't forget, if you've not been through Next Steps, we have childcare available after second service. We want you to come and take the next step with us. It's three sessions in the month of November. It's the last one that we will have. We will have food for you because you will feel like it's almost two o'clock in your belly if you wait until then to eat with us, and we will feel that with you. So come and join us as we fast this morning on behalf of the gospel in next steps. Also, please Please, if you have your boxes for Operation Christmas Child, I have to reiterate that this week is the week. We have got to get that in by Wednesday of this week. And finally, I just want to celebrate. I'm excited. Next weekend, I get to do like the wedding of a lifetime. And I know that Aaron Carter on the front row is more excited than I am to make Pastor Lydia Webb Pastor Lydia Carter. Come on, join them and celebrate them. This coming week, this is the last week we have Pastor Lydia Webb. She will forever and always be from this point forward. You can even drop the web. Take it up with Big Mike. I dare you. I'd like to see that. If you don't know Pastor Lydia's dad, he's about yay tall and about yay. He's a large man, okay? And so um, I have a lot of respect for Aaron because he was willing to face that man and marry his daughter. Hey, listen, this Wednesday night, I'm also really excited. Um, Miss Rachel Darby is going to share with us Wednesday night. She's got a message that's just kind of burning in her heart, and I am excited. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually burning to hear what the message is that's burning in her heart. She shared a little bit of it with me this past Wednesday night. Come join us on Wednesday night. Let's support the call of God on her life Wednesday night as she communicates the gospel to us. And then also next Sunday, um, our in-house pastor, Blaine Francois, is going to preach both services for us. I'm excited about that. And uh, I'm not going anywhere this week. I'm still working and still available. Um, I just wanted to give these people the opportunity to get in the pulpit. And God saw fit to lay it on the week that my final paper was due for my master's degree class this trimester. So I'm just going to let God be God and you guys come and support them as they share. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We read this scripture last week. We're going out of this series of being different and into a series for the next few weeks on giving thanks. Not just thanksgiving, but giving 
thanks. That thanks would be an action that we show, not just a, a word that we say. Um, 1 Peter 2 chapter 9 is going to tell us, is going to tell us who we are, and then he's going to show us what to do. See, different, different for the believer is being in the world, but not of the world. Okay? The, the problem is, is that, and, and if this is you, don't take this as a message of condemnation this morning. Just receive the challenge and make the adjustments because we've all been there. No matter where we are in our Christian walk, we've all been in a place where we were more like the world than we were like Jesus. But I thank God for his patience and his process, for his forgiveness and the faith that he gives me. But the problem is, is that honestly, we have too many believers in the world that act just like the world. See, the problem with our culture is not that we don't have enough Christians. The problem with our culture is that we have too many Christians that look and act just like everybody else around them. We don't need more Christians. We need more conversions. We need more people to live what they believe. To show it with their behavior. But before I can really preach hard on what to do, I want to remind you of why. Of why and and who you are. And that's what Peter wanted to do in his book. Verse 9, he said, you're not like that. You're not like that. We're not going to be that way at New Hope. We're not going to be in the world and just like the world. We're going to be in the world and not like the world. We're going to have more influence on our community than our community has on us. We're going to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. It's just a simple little illustration. We're going to set the tone. We're not like that. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why do I live a certain way? Because I understand that I am God's very own possession. So as a result, I show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. If you have a highlighter or a pencil or a phone in a place that you can highlight this, I just want you to highlight, circle, maybe bold and and write it real big. The Bible says you can show others the goodness of God for He's calling you out. He's called you out. Listen, I'm calling you out this morning. God has called me out. And it's the only reason that He's called me up is because He called me out. I'm calling you out this morning. I'm calling you out to not just come to another service with the church, but, get, but to get the service inside of you as the church. I'm calling you out this morning to be the bride of Christ that is more concerned. I'm calling you to be the bride of Christ that is more concerned um, with the children of God than, than she is herself. I'm, I'm calling you to, to operate in what God's called you to operate, to live a life that looks and is different so that what I believe is shown in, in how I behave. Why? What's, what's the big deal? Why do I need to look different? Why, why do I need to live differently? Because every one of you represents Christ to somebody. Did you know that you are the only Jesus that some people will see? So my question is, if I'm the only Jesus that some people will see, then how do I represent him 
in their minds. Because the way that a person thinks of you is the most important thing about you. Well, that doesn't matter. Oh, yes, it does. To that person, that's all they see you as. And if you don't have the right, then you won't have the influence. If they don't have the right perspective of me, then they're not going to listen to me. If I don't show them that I care, then they're not going to care what I say. I've got to live this thing out. I'm being called out. What's the big deal? Why? Because I'm on call. I'm on call. We're all on call. Jesus said, if somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. If Jesus asks you to give them a shirt, give them a jacket. And don't you take advantage of that scripture and say that the church should be giving everything away when you don't take the time to provide for yourself. We're supposed to help people that are helping themselves. And if you're helping yourself, baby, we will support you and hold you up. But don't you come to this church office looking for a handout when you ain't trying to help yourself because we're going to give you the word of God. Silver and gold I have not, but I'll give you something greater that'll give you an incentive that you didn't even know was on the inside of you. And five years later, you'll look back and say I'm so grateful I went to church that day and asked for help asked for help because God has called you you are a chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are God's very own possession don't live your life through my calling God's called you to minister God's called you to look like Jesus. You have permission. You have an assignment. You are on call. It's not temporary. It's eternal. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. The life that God has called us to is better, not easier. In fact, most of the time it will probably be more difficult. Jesus never promised the things that some of the preachers promise today. Jesus never promised that you will get rich by serving him and following him. He never promised that you would not be broken up with and face heartache. He never promised that it would not rain on your vacation. Or that for some reason the ocean would pile up four feet of seaweed in front of the the ocean floor that you had just spent two wonderful days on, and on your last day, you would have to wade past rotten coconuts to get to the beautiful, clear water. Jesus never promised that you were going to have a good life. He promised that you could have a God life. He promised that, that when your plumbing goes out, He would provide and help you work it out. That when you have car trouble, He would be the provision. And I don't know if there's anything worse than plumbing or car trouble. The only thing that could be worse is if you had plumbing trouble in your car. If that happens to you... That wasn't even in my notes. Thank you, Lord. I was... John 15, verse 18, Jesus said it this way. If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. This is the most encouraging message that most people never want to hear. It's the most encouraging message that most people don't want to be convicted by. The life that God has called us to, that life that is better but not easier. 
Verse 19 says, the world would love you as its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you. Not just the pastors. Not just the teachers. Not just the prophets and evangelists or the apostles. But, but Jesus looks at the follower of Christ, the disciple, and says, I chose you. I want you to picture in your mind this morning, if you will, Jesus staring at you and understand that this verse was spoken directly to us on this day in 2017. That when Jesus said this passage, He saw every person that would ever receive His salvation and take up the conviction to follow Him. The world would love you as its own if, it, if you belonged to it, but you were no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. I want to reiterate the context in that, that Peter is writing this letter in 1 Peter. The, the Christians that he's writing to, the, the Gentile believers that have converted. He's writing this in the midst of excessive persecution against the church. See, Nero, the emperor of Rome that was over the Christians at this time, was such a foul man that, that he would kill his own mother, his own wife, and another wife. Nero was so obsessed with building Rome that when the Senate would not let him build something new, he burned the entire city to prove his point and to get his way. And in order to not receive the blame for something that he was responsible for, he blamed the Christians. Nero was a tyrannical terrorist. He did not just challenge the moral conviction of the believers in the nation of which they lived. He challenged the life of the believer. Many sociologists say that we are currently in the worst decade of persecution in the history of the world. Did you know that all around the world, over 300 Christians a month are killed for their faith? Over 200 churches every month are burned for its existence. And over 800 people are beaten, raped, or tortured, or imprisoned because of their faith. I know that we don't face it in the Bible Belt South, but friend, we are in a time of persecution that we've never seen before. Our persecution looks different, but it still exists. In some places, you are imprisoned for your faith. In other places, the threat that you will lose your job hangs over your head if you speak about your faith. See, some people lose their loved ones physically because of their faith. But on the high school campuses of the United States of America, students are losing their friends because of their faith. See, in some places, people face physical opposition because of what they believe. But here in America, you can almost bank on it that when you begin to take a stand for morality, when you begin to take a stand for the convictions of Jesus Christ and the life that He has called you to, you may not face physical opposition, but you can write it down and count on it that you will face verbal opposition and probably be persecuted in a way that you were not expecting. You may lose friends. You may lose family members. You'll be called holier than thou. You'll be called a Bible beater 
you'll be called a holy roller. But if they just had a glimpse of what's inside of me, then they'd be rolling too. (laughs) But it's my responsibility to show them, not just tell them. I have to show them. See, listen, throughout history, God has always had the answer. No more than we are subject to culture, the gospel is not subject to culture. When the world had taverns, God wrote hymns. When the world built coliseums, God created crusades. When the world was drawn to rock music, God raised up hill song. I'm telling you, there's always been an answer to the ways of the world. God will take what modern people love and listen to. He'll redeem it and use it to build his kingdom in a way that it's never been built before. And now coliseums are filled with people listening to rock music, receiving Jesus Christ, and going to spend eternity in heaven because culture is subject to God. God is not subject to culture. He will take it, redeem it, and use it for His will. But in the midst of all of it, He has called us to be different. Not to honor Him with our lips, but to honor Him with our lives. Not to talk about it, but to walk it out. Not to move our mouth, but to move our body. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, Don't be surprised. Don't be be surprised when you have to have these conversations or when people come at you because of what you believe or they treat you differently than they would have treated you if you would have just conformed to their way. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. Remember who he's writing to. He's not writing to people who are losing their friends. He's writing to parents who are losing their children. And he says, don't be surprised. He says, it's okay. When you face fiery trials, you're going through those things. It's not something strange that's just happening to you. Don't be surprised. But the question still remains, why do we face so much opposition? You know, I kind of... I'll be honest, I watched about the first five minutes of the first quarter of the football game last night, and then I went and did something else. I left the TV on in the living room for the people that were hanging out and, and wanted to watch it, but me, I just went and did something else. And if they, I, I, when I came back, I just wasn't as plugged in anymore. I was like, oh, look, they did it again. Let's eat. Hey, you know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm assuming, how many of you know, I just want you to raise your hand if you know a person by the name of Kyle Kepper. Kyle Kepper. Would you just raise your hand? See, in the midst of this game, I'm, I'm assuming that, um, that, that Coach Nick Saban probably prepared for Darius Geis. Probably, he probably watched some film and prepared. I don't know what Coach O did all week, but I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm just joking. I'm only serious. Okay, Nick Saban prepared for Darius, guys. And I bet you, I bet you, even though he calls him happy feet just like I do, um, I bet you he even prepared for Danny Etling. Um, But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he did not prepare for Kyle Kepper. 
because Kyle Kepper is a varsity cheerleader at LSU. He's not in the game. He's just cheering for the people that are in the game. So Nick Saban didn't prepare for Kyle Kepper. Kyle Kepper didn't have to go into any interviews and answer for how he did or did not perform yesterday because he's not in the game. But Danny Etling got his stinking head knocked off last night because the enemy, Nick Saban, y'all like that? (laughs) Because he was prepared for. But the enemy prepared for him because he was in the game. So don't be surprised, believer, when you're in the game and you're prepared for and you face some opposition. See, if you just want to stand on the sides and watch the church fight the battle and cheer as they do their best, then you're welcome to do that and you may not face any persecution. But when you strap on your cleats and you put on your helmet of truth and and your shield of faith and you take up the sword of the Spirit, then you need to know that you're going to face some persecution. So Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you live in Libya and you're a Christian and they take your life. Don't be surprised if you live in Muslim Indonesia and they take your family. Don't be surprised if you're a young lady that keeps her curves in her clothes. I made that up all by myself. And people make fun of you because of your modesty. But you look forward to the day when the white dress means something to you. And you stand with the groom that God has prepared for you. Redeemed and restored or having retained your innocence all the way? Whatever it is, don't be surprised when you face an ill-suited conversation at Thanksgiving because of where you're going to church or what you say you believe in. Don't be surprised. See, spectators do not get persecuted. Only participants get persecuted. It's not different if it's not difficult. If we never face any persecution or opposition, it's probably because we're not in the game. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Instead, instead of being upset about it, instead of being surprised by it, be very glad. Well, I sure am glad I lost that friend. <laughs> That's awesome. And man, I sure am glad everybody in my family's mad at me. <laughs> That's so cool. I sure am glad the enemy's attacking my babies right now. Thank you, Jesus. But Peter says, no matter what you face, if you'll just keep participating. You can be glad because these trials make you partners with Jesus Christ as he carried the cross up the hill of Golgotha. They make you joint heirs with Jesus as his arms were spread wide on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They make you partners with Christ in his suffering. 
so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. A problem perhaps is that we pursue comfort more than we pursue Christ. And we even relate discomfort with God's ability to intervene. We seek comfort more than we seek the comforter, the Holy Spirit. As an example, if we go to a social event, it's our nature to blend in more than it is to stand out. It's our nature to begin to use the same language. It's our nature to possibly even become negligent towards people that we care about or possibly even, God forbid, prejudiced against people that God has created. Because in that social event or in that conversation, we don't want to be perceived as weird or different. We want to maintain our comfort. In fact, we're more interested in their perspective of us than we are His perspective of us. I have a chart this morning that just kind of shows this. I don't do this often because I don't really like them. (laughs) I really don't like making them. Okay, But in this chart, you can see that we we pursue comfort. And And then the comfort leads us to avoiding opposition. You know, it would be like if you can see, and again, my, my, my brother was like received a cheer scholarship at Louisiana Tech and it helped pay for college and he actually met his wife on the cheerleading squad and now they're married and in ministry together, okay? So if you know someone or if you were or if you have been, I'm not picking on cheerleaders today, okay? I mean, I can hold up my 110-pound wife over my head too. That's cool, man. It's cool. You get to do it in front of everybody. It's awesome, okay? Um, she don't weigh 110 pounds. Okay, I'm sorry. But when you pursue comfort, and that's what you do, your pursuit of comfort causes you to avoid the opposition. Okay? And this is not a shot at him, but just like when the game crosses over the out-of-bounds line and comes flying towards the cheerleaders, what do they do? Ah! You know, <laughs> like... They'd bail out of the way. They don't want none of that. They don't have pads on. They're not as big. They're not as, well, some of them are. They're not as fast, right? They're not protected. They're not protected because they're not in the game. So they get out of the way. They avoid the opposition, and their belief in themselves and who they're called to be weakens. Their faith in God weakens. Their faith in their calling weakens. Their faith in their values weaken. Their faith in their very own lives and their ability to live it out, it weakens. And then ultimately they end up just as empty as they were before they ever went to church that Sunday. Instead, let me give you the other side. What Peter's trying to convince his congregation to believe is that when you live boldly, You're willing to face the opposition. And then from facing the opposition, you begin to develop a faith that you would not have had had you not been willing to face that opposition. Because you are engaged in the battle 
and you win some victories, you begin to not only believe in yourself, but the God that has equipped and empowered you to be victorious. And as your faith strengthens, it doesn't leave you empty. It leaves you closer to Jesus than you would have ever been had you not been willing. And then the cycle repeats itself. Boom. You go back again to living even more boldly and even more boldly. And here's my question as you look at that graph this morning. Which one of those represents your life? Which one of those represents your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus? Ask yourself, is my obedience leading me closer to Christ? Or is my comfort leaving me empty? So he writes to his congregation in chapter 4, verse 19 of 1 Peter, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. If you're suffering in a manner that is pleasing to God because of who you are in Christ and the way that you live your life, then keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you, for He will never fail you. This is a simple example, but for me it was pretty important at the time. When I was in college, I had made a commitment and it's a weird commitment. Just roll with me for a minute. But I had felt like the Lord was leading me to make a covenant to not kiss a girl for a year. Like, period. Because, because that was my vice. Like, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I, you know, I didn't even get most of the dirty jokes. <laughs> so that really wasn't my problem. But, but man, that my vice was, was being drawn in, into lust and those things. Just like so many other young men. And so I thought the Holy Spirit laid it upon my heart. I will deliver you from this if you'll stop getting involved in every other relationship that comes by and if you won't kiss anybody for a year. And I was really plugged in. I was 19 years old. I was really plugged into this commitment. I, I even felt like it was a covenant. And I was pretty successful for a little while. And, and I went on this date with a friend of my aunt's. <laughs> Hang on, Okay. My dad had married, I know, it's weird. My dad had married my stepmother who was pretty uh, significantly younger than him. And then my stepmother's sister was significantly younger than her and just a, a little bit older than me. And so I went on a date with my friend, my, my aunt's friend when I was in college, okay? And so, um, and, and I'm not going to name who it was, but we, we went out and... and and I was, we were at dinner, and, and I was just kind of, we were just kind of, you know, getting to know one another. I, honestly, we'd known each other from, from Minden, but she was way older than me, and I was like, <sighs> when she walked by in high school, actually, I was in junior high when she was in high school, and now I'm sitting at the dinner table, I was like, look what the Lord has done. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so we're in this conversation, we're just kind of getting to know one another, and, and I, tell her, I tell her about, you know, kind of some of the things that God's doing in my life, which... Listen, young people, if you're not married, if you can't tell the person that you're with about the things that God's doing in your life, you're outside of God's will. 
You need to get up from the table and go back home and wait for Jesus to show you your spouse if you can trust him to save your soul. I'm telling you, you need to walk away from that conversation. If you can't have that conversation with a person that you care about, then that person is not who God has for you. I'm telling you plainly, because Scripture says, do not be unequally yoked. And if you are, then you're outside of God's will. Now, he can use it, restore it, and redeem it, just like he did Megan, when she started dating me, (laughs) he redeemed me for her. But I was in this conversation, I began to share, and and I didn't think anything about it. I was like, we we went, we finished dinner, and it seemed good to me. And we went home, and I walked her up to her door, and I was like, all right, girl, see ya. You know, (laughs) I'm not going to hug her, I'm not going to hold her. I, I can't kiss anybody for a year. And so she goes inside. I thought we would probably talk again. I don't know. I thought it went okay. My, my dad calls me the next day because she had called my aunt. My dad calls me. He's like, dude, what's wrong with you? Uh, I mean, my stomach hurts. I ate too much. I, mean, I do that all the time. So, <laughs> so what's, what? You went out with so-and-so last night, and she called your aunt and so telling her how. Why are you being so weird? Why are you being so different? Like, God doesn't desire all that stuff from you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to act so, like, out of the, out of the ordinary. What is this covenant not to kiss a girl? Are you, is there something wrong with you, son? Like, I don't think so, man. I, do you know that that weighed on me? That, that conversation that somebody that had huge influence in my life kind of discouraged me. And, and it weighed on me, and ultimately, I, I broke that covenant not too many months later. And not too many months after that, I found myself partying and playing and drinking and smoking and, and chasing more girls than I had ever even known in my life. God's call to be different is to, to do what's right and to trust Him with the results. To do what's right no matter how it feels, no matter how it affects you, and trust him with the results. See, because in in 2007, October of 2007, I I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, God called me to a a covenant that, that I didn't keep. And I'd like to try to renew this covenant. He told me that I, if I would not kiss a girl for a year, then he would help me and that it would develop and strengthen my relationship with him. And so that girl that I was dating at the time agreed. She, she agreed with me. She concurred. And, and we began this journey of, of not kissing. And we would tell people about it. And you know what we were called? Weird. <laughs> I... But listen, I'd rather be weird than worldly every time. Every time. And in February of 2008, I asked her to marry me, and we kissed. But from February of 2008 to October of 2008, we did not kiss again. I didn't tell you that I had only been successful in my covenant for six months. 
But from the first six months that I was faithful when I was 19 to the last six months that I was faithful when I was 24, can I tell you that the day that I held her hand in the altar and the pastor said, you may now kiss your bride. The sealing of that covenant meant something to me that it had never meant before. Because God helped me to do what was right and trust Him with the results even though I faced some verbal persecution for it. God had the answer and she sits on the front row. Sometimes when you're in the midst of the trial, you know you're taking the high road, but every time it feels like the low road. See, anybody can live like everybody, but we're called to be different, to do what's right and trust God with the results. Listen to me, friend, as long as you are suffering for the sake of the cross and suffering because you're doing what's right, then keep on doing it. If you're different, if you're weird, if you face persecution, do what is right and trust God with the results. If I'm like the world, then the world will accept me as its own. But I operate for the approval of but one. I am following Jesus and I will not be like the world. I will raise my children differently. I will spend my money and give my money differently. My values will be different. My morals will be different. My conversations will be different. My perspective of life will be different. The way that I live will be different. Persecution has never hurt the church. It strengthened it. God has always had the answer and he always will. But he's looking for the church to live a life that looks different, consecrated, and called in the face of the greatest persecution. The church was birthed and the church grew. You know, the worst thing for Christianity that's ever happened is when Constantine made it the state religion because it became easy. See, the danger in, in Christianity being easy in the Bible Belt is that it's become so common that you can become a Christian and still be conformed to the world. It's become so common that it's lost its conversion. Christianity has become so easy to live out in South Louisiana that at times it's lost its conversion, which was the most powerful thing that the Gentiles and the Jews would do for the sake of the cross. But pastor, don't you worry? In fact, let me just take pastor off. Chris, don't you worry when you're persecuted? Yes, of course I do, I'm human. I deliberate over everything. Like I drink coffee to focus on something else so that I can just be jazzed up and not calm down. Because if I can stay up here, then I can get done what I need to do, but I, I, I face it, I worry about it. it. It weighs on me just like it does anybody else. It's difficult, or it wouldn't be different. 
the author of this series <clears throat> and actually the creator of the YouVersion app. The YouVersion Bible app. Craig Groeschel says, don't worry when you're persecuted. Worry when you're not. Learn to take comfort in being uncomfortable. To put yourself out there because it's when you put yourself out there that you can experience God. Two more scriptures. 1 Peter 5, 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and at the right time, He will lift you up in honor. Verse 7. Give or cast all your worries and cares to God for He cares for you. Can you hear 1 Peter writing these words to the Gentile church? Do you remember what Peter was doing when he met Jesus? He was fishing. He was casting nets and catching nothing. And Jesus said, hey, Peter, do something different. Throw your net on the other side. Peter understood when he was writing this letter what Jesus was communicating at that time. Hey, Peter, you know that thing that you care about? Cast it on me because I care for you. I will build your faith in a way that it would have never existed if you will just cast your cares on me. Peter remembered the easy life that Jesus came into, and yet he abided by the call that Jesus gave him to live differently. We don't serve the customs of this world. We are set apart to be different. And Peter writes in closing, Verse 10, in his kindness, God called in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered for a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. Jesus, in this place right now, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that we would evaluate our lives. Are we living boldly for you or are we pursuing comfort like everybody else? Do we know you? Have we received your salvation? Are we following you and your will for our lives? Or are we following our own desires for ourselves and everybody that we have influence over? Lord, where are we? This morning, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, if you're sitting in this place and you would say, I sense God calling me to live with more boldness, to give more generously, to, to serve more extravagantly, to, to commit more deeply to his call upon my life. I need to live more boldly. If I'm talking to you today, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. That's me. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all, all over the room. I need to live more boldly. Give more generous, generously. Serve more extravagantly. I need to covenant back to Christ more consistently. That's me. That's me. If you're in the room today and you need to receive salvation, 
for the first time or the first time in a long time. If you need to know Jesus because you don't know where you would spend eternity and today you would be willing to ask him forgiveness and you believe that he died on the cross and was raised from the dead so that you could live a new life that is different from the one that you came in here living. And today you want to receive Christ as your Savior for the first time or the first time in a long time because you know that yesterday you weren't following him. Would you lift your hand right where you are and say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else? I want to follow Jesus. I see you, brother, in the back. Thank you. Come on, church, would you pray this prayer with me if you raised your hand, even if you didn't? Jesus, forgive me for where I've fallen short. That's sin. It separates me from you. I don't want to be separated. I want to be saved. Cleanse me. Take my life. Make it yours. Forgive me. Heal me. Help me to follow you. Help me to live boldly, to give generously, to serve extravagantly, and to accomplish your will for my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in me as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Come on, church. Could you praise Jesus big? Stand with me all over the room today. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want you to know that we celebrate with the angels in heaven for your commitment to the Son of God today. So wherever you are, before you leave today, whoever you are, I'm asking you to do two things. The first thing is I want you to consider being baptized in water. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a water baptism service and if you want to know about the water baptism service, you can go online or connect with our office on Facebook, and we'll share more about water baptism with you. We have messages for that. We give explanations for that. But if you have committed or recommitted your life to Jesus and you have not been water baptized, we want to encourage you to make a public profession of what's going on privately and consider water baptism. Even if you don't want to be water baptized, or if you do, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it with all of your heart, we believe that God heard you and God wants to heal you and save you and start this magnificent journey called Christianity. Would you please fill out the blue connect card in the seat in front of you? All you have to do is write your name and what took place in your life. And if you want to receive water baptism or be involved in that service, then you can check that place on that card as well. And we'll get in touch with you. Sound good? Can we do one more thing today? Can I pray a prayer of blessing over you before? Hey, listen, if you haven't already had a donut, go ahead and get one, but don't just take five and leave none for the next crowd, okay? Um, don't drink all the coffee and leave them nothing. We wanna bless them as well, even though they slept in. All right, let's pray. Hold your hands out like I'm handing you a present. Let me pray a blessing. Father, I love you, and I thank you for these people. I pray that you would bless us and keep us and that your face would shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lord, that we would look to you in all that we do and that you would make our paths straight, that you would lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace no matter what our situation. 
God, I pray today that the word would not return unto you void, but that it would be seated in our heart and come alive in our lives. Anoint us to accomplish your will, to walk in your ways. Holy Spirit, come into us and empower us to walk with you and to live as examples of people who follow Jesus and accomplish what he's called us to. Let us be different in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Meet somebody that you don't know before you leave today.